It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Well, happy Aloha Friday. We have made it to the end of another week here. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This morning, we spotlight our tourism industry and get a unique perspective from one of the key players here in the Hawaii market. That's right. We are speaking today with Diana Burkett-Rocco. She is Senior Vice President of Public Affairs and Sustainability at Alaska Airlines, which of course has plenty of direct flights to Hawaii. And we've got a lot to talk about. Diana, thanks for being here. Thanks, Yanji and Ryan. It's great to see you again. Well, good to see you. Uh, we are right in the middle of summer travel, so very interested to hear on you know what you're seeing in the tourism industry and the appetite of tourists outside of Hawaii for our islands. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will just start with summer has been very, very, very busy. It uh, it's fantastic to see people come back to the skies, and this really is in some ways the first summer sort of since COVID that. We aren't, we don't have any restrictions and, and folks are really uh, traveling again. Um, just a couple of, uh, of fun things, between June 29th and July, for, uh, July 5th, over the July 4th holiday, our team welcomed 1 million people on board. And actually on uh, June 30th, uh, the, the single day, we flew the most passengers in a single day in our entire 90 year history. Uh, so it's actually been really exciting. And the best part, though, and the part that I think our teams feel so good about is that we have uh, more than 99% completion rate. We have a 85% um, on time rate um, for this quarter uh, that just closed for Q2. And um, that's the highest in the industry. Uh, and we're actually the only um, airline sort of with those levels of completion uh, and on time. And so that's just really the the metrics that we use to make sure that we're delivering great service to our guests, which is um, our highest priority. You know, now in the tourism industry, when we're looking at some of these numbers, uh, it's uh, very easy now to compare what we saw pre-pandemic to what we're seeing now. Uh, what can you tell us about sort of the rebound that has happened, how things are looking for Alaska Airlines, specifically with the Hawaii flights? Uh, post-pandemic and as we move on beyond, uh, you know, when comparing, say, to 2019? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, what's exciting is we are seeing real rebound in travel. Our airplanes um, during uh, July is a, are about 90% full on average across our system. So if you think there are some routes probably to uh, maybe smaller communities uh, or more rural areas, that might not be full, that might be 50 or 60 or 70% full. And then there's a ton of airplanes that are 100% full. Um, and so, you know, you're probably experiencing that when you get on board. And uh, we ask for our guests' patience with those full flights, but they really are a sign of, um, you know, return to travel and help us balance out access to communities where the loads might be uh, smaller as well. Um, leisure demand is back above pre-pandemic levels. So that's really returned. Uh, very fast. Corporate travel has come back. It's uh, hovered about, plateaued at about 70 to 80 percent of pre-pandemic levels. And one of the interesting trends we're seeing is uh, we call it leisure. 
Um, but it's people that, you know, are traveling for work and might tack on a long weekend or might tack on a visit to go see family and actually just get the most out of that travel experience. So those are some of the trends that we're seeing. That's so interesting. Bleisure. Well, how do we get those bleisure travelers to come to Hawaii? I'm interested to know um, what you're seeing in terms of, you know, we know that Hawaii is a beautiful place and a lot of people uh, want to come here. But is that is that still continuing to be the narrative or are visitors finding other places to go? You know, I think both are true. The fact that leisure has come back above pre-pandemic levels means that still people are um, have very high interest in traveling to and from Hawaii, but also we've got uh, interest in a lot of destinations. We actually just in the last two weeks announced uh, nonstop flights to the Bahamas and to Guatemala, uh, which we're really excited about. Um, Guatemala and the Bahamas are both two new countries and two new sort of dots on the map for us. Um, and dots on the map, new dots on the map are really uh, fun for, for an airline because it means you get to you know expand your horizons. But we are seeing strong leisure demand really across the country and to Mexico, Central America, as well as to ongoing to Hawaii. Um, I think we have increased our frequency to um, Honolulu, but tried to make sure that the most importantly is that the flight times work for folks. Um, so we are seeing really high loads um, to Honolulu, and that may be because the fact that um, there's just a broader array of uh, hospitality options, of hotel options, um, across a variety of price points and people can have different kinds of experiences. Um, and then we've also put some focus on making sure that for the Hawaii resident traveler, that our flight times are better for not just getting to the West Coast, but potentially accessing beyond the West Coast, destinations beyond the West Coast without having to deal with a red eye coming or going. So we've got an early morning flight out of Honolulu now, and we've got uh, an 8 p.m. flight back from Seattle now so that people can really optimize their workday and business trips both directions. Um, yeah, it's it's exciting. And uh, we, we want to make sure that people um, continue to travel to Hawaii and that they do so uh, with a lot of curiosity and respect and uh, that they're the right kind of traveler coming to Hawaii as well. Yeah, I want to dive a little bit more into that flight times, uh, because I think that is something that may not seem significant or maybe a little in the weeds. But when you think about it, that could have a significant impact uh, about when flights are coming and going. Uh, talk about the decision to kind of accommodate uh, those flight times. Was that something that was done internally? Was that something that you heard from Hawaii residents? How did uh, that shift happen to make those uh, sort of changes in the time, the flight times that you felt would accommodate more people? It's a great question. A little bit of both. So we are always looking at our schedule and, you know, running an airline is like, I don't know, a five dimensional Tetris game all of the time or something, because you're trying to get the airplanes to connect in the right places, to be in the right places, to connect with crews coming from different places and obviously to match up with passenger demand. And so we're always looking at those connection points and revising every quarter to make sure that we're optimizing in as many places as possible. And as you can imagine, you move something over here, you impact something else over here. Um, but we also have heard that the ability to get to the West Coast from Hawaii and then connect beyond without being stuck on a red eye across the country is really important, as well as that ab ability to have a full day on the West Coast or elsewhere in the United States, but still be able to get home at night. And so those are a couple of changes that we made for that reason. 
you know, you talked about those new international destinations, but of course we're focused on what's happening here at home. We know that in November, you're launching another new direct flight to a second airport uh, in the Seattle area. If you could tell us a little bit about that and the thinking that went into that decision. Sure. Well, that's a particularly exciting. It's actually going to be the longest route from that airport. That airport is called Painfield. And if you think about Seattle um, sort of being in the center of a big region, SeaTac, the airport that most people think about, is on the south end of that region, and Painfield is on the north end. And actually, from where I live in the middle, they are equidistant. And depending on traffic, you know, one could be more favorable than the other. So it's really nice to have options. Uh, and so being able to offer both um, leisure and business travelers an option from the north end of the city um, is a really big difference and just to get more traffic coming through that airport. We also, SeaTac is incredibly busy um, as are many of the airports um, in Hawaii. And so trying to figure out how to balance that out across different parts of our infrastructure is really important. I want to get to the topic of sustainable tourism or regenerative tourism. You know, there, that is a conversation that is happening here local, locally with, uh, you know, many tourism officials trying to find ways to attract a different type of visitor to the islands. Uh, I'm wondering if you can speak to, from Alaska's standpoint, how you may be also trying to find and fit into that narrative as Hawaii officials try to look to market Hawaii differently. Absolutely. And we really appreciate being part of the conversation over the last um, couple of years, really, uh, about um, shifting from simply destination marketing to destination management. And the way that we think about that and our responsibility in that conversation is to um, help educate our guests and help provide as many opportunities as possible for our guests to come to the islands with the right um, sort of orientation around wanting to learn, wanting to contribute, wanting to give back, and wanting to be, um, most importantly, respectful. Um, and ideally, to be regenerative in that way of leaving Hawaii better than they found it. Um, and so some of the ways that we do that, we actually um, have materials that we share in our pre-trip emails. Um, we have some content in our um, in-flight entertainment system, um, and also that we put through a lot of our other communication channels um, to sort of put information in front of our guests to help them think about some of those issues, um, both from an environmental sustainability standpoint, as well as a, a cultural uh, learning and experiences standpoint. Um, the other thing, last time I remember we were together, maybe it was two years ago, we were talking about the pledge to Arkeki, and we have used that as a platform along with Kanu to connect people to experiences and to ways of thinking about and even just prompting our guests and asking them to sign the pledge um, is sort of a way of bringing them into this conversation to learn more. Um, and, you know, part of it is just making sure that folks are thinking about it. And then part of it is ensuring that um, wherever possible, we can op provide opportunities for them to take action on what they've learned. Yeah, you're right. That was right when um, that was sort of an initiative that you were getting involved in. If you could remind our audience of what the pledge is and, and tell us a little bit, you know, since you've had some time now uh, to roll that out, what the response has been like. Absolutely. Well, it's um, it's a pledge that is hosted by um, Kanu Hawaii, and uh, it was developed by students in Hawaii who were thinking about, you know, what they wanted for the future. Um, and inviting others to have responsibility to take care of that future and to make sure that that future for them and for future generations were protected. And so we signed on to the pledge um, and uh, we committed as part of signing on 
to get uh, others to sign on. And so we've um, brought it to our guests. We did a big uh, sort of activation in the San Francisco airport um, one day during Earth Month last year to help uh, educate people that were coming and going through the airport um, with a big version of the pledge and actually had people physically sign and um, had some uh, music and, and um, hula and other things to welcome people into that conversation. Um, and then we are continuing to work with Kanu to bring the pledge. Um, for example, uh, it was launched throughout Hawaii public schools and bringing other stakeholders into that conversation. So we're excited about where this is going to go. It's, um, you know, it's one really important lever in the conversation. It's not an end point, though. It's a way of sort of galvanizing action and galvanizing conversation. And then what we need is for people to not just sign the pledge, but take action accordingly and be conscious of their own choices. You know, I'm wondering as you talk about this pledge with Kano Hawaii and the impact that Alaska Airlines has made in the community, uh, you know, just the amount of community engagement, the things that the airlines continues to do uh, for the community because they've become such a big presence here with local nonprofits and partnership. Uh, but when you look at Alaska Airlines as a whole, uh, you know, Hawaii is just one market compared to many other markets that you guys also fly to. Uh, I'm wondering, do you folks do this in all those markets and uh, all the destinations that you travel? Or is Hawaii uh, a little different because of, say, the cultural sensitivity and the different types of things that embody Hawaii? Uh, how do you manage that with each destination? Or is Hawaii somewhat unique in that regard? Yeah, I love that question. Thanks for asking it. Um, every place is unique. I mean, that's one of the things about not just our country, but the places that we fly. But we do, I mean, it's sort of in our ethos to, um, and we talk about, and they're actually usually presented in a circle, taking care of all of those who depend on us. And those stakeholders include our employees, our guests, our communities, and our owners. And so across our business, our business is run and designed in a way that takes care of all of those stakeholders. And they have to be in balance in order for our um our company to sustain and take care of everybody for the long term. So that's sort of the origin behind um, our level of community engagement. And it is something that we do in all of the all of sort of our major areas of operation and where we have employees. Um, and sometimes it's more organized and sometimes it's more uh, grassroots if it's a, an area where we have maybe smaller operations in uh, Florida or something like that. Um, each place, though, and it's one of the things that uh, drew me to working at Alaska Airlines, how we show up in those communities, the level of commitment is consistent, but how we do it is um, responsive to what's important for that community. So there's some key themes. We engage on environmental sustainability issues everywhere, but that may look a little bit different in the state of Alaska or in the Arctic, obviously, than it does in the state of Hawaii. And so we work on tailoring our approach to meet the local needs um, wherever they may be. I'm interested, you know, you did mention up at the top some pretty impressive numbers when it comes to, you know, flight completions, getting getting from A to B and actually getting there and also the, the arrival times. Um, I'm wondering about, you know, uh, employees, because so many industries have had such a hard time. You know, we talk about it all the time here on this show, just in the context of the city and county of Honolulu and the vast vacancies they have there. But it's not just the public sector. You know, you hear it from local businesses to, you know, everything from large corporations to a restaurant, just trying to make sure that they have enough staff to make the food and serve it. What are some of the employee challenges that you're facing right now? And are there also opportunities perhaps for Hawaii residents uh, to find a job? 
Yeah, it's a great question. There are both challenges and opportunities. Um, there are a lot of jobs available and figuring out the right way to reach people and the right way to train people into them is certainly um, an ongoing topic. So we uh, are hiring people all over our system um, at really unprecedented levels, partly because a lot of people took retirement during um, the pandemic or, as you noted, may have shifted locations in their lives, may have shifted career paths, may be looking for more part-time work. And so we're trying to be flexible and thinking about meeting people where they are and getting into careers. Um, our one big focus is hiring pilots. And uh, that's been, I know, a big topic um, of conversation across the country. We are, we're hiring about 400 pilots this year. Um, and one thing that has shifted, that's about 100 more than we hired last year. We've hired about 284 of them year to date. So we're more than halfway through, about halfway through the year, which is great. But the thing that we started to do uniquely in the last few years is actually invest in our own training programs to train pilots from the very beginning of their careers, rather than leaving that to chance and helping them get sort of through that long journey. In Hawaii, we have a number of entry-level positions available. In particular, in um, across some of the uh, airports that we work on, we or work at, we are looking for leadership positions, so lead or supervisor positions um, with people who want to get into um, sort of a management role or work on leadership in their career. Um, but we've got uh, 30 entry-level positions available in Kona right now, 25 in Lahui, and. Um, 20 on Maui. So just a, a couple of examples of ways that people can get into the business. And one fun thing about the airline business is you can start one place and you can move geographically, but you can also move to all these different career opportunities within the industry or within the company, uh, which is pretty fun. I want to head back to the conversation we're having about destination ma destination management. And there have been uh, a lot of things happening here locally with the Hawaii Tourism Authority and some of the disagreements that have been happening with that body and the Hawaii State Legislature. Uh, and there is that sense of uncertainty right now about what the future of HTA looks like. Uh, I'm wondering from your perspective uh, as Alaska Airlines, do you believe that HTA is a uh, important body uh, for you know, just the management of tourism in Hawaii and just your overall thoughts on the importance and significance of that organization and its role in your day-to-day -day operations? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, we have a great relationship with the HTA and have for a number of years, um, for many years, but we really do appreciate that leadership and shifting from destination marketing to destination management and really cultivating the right kind of tourism in Hawaii. And, you know, that's not... Um, it, that doesn't happen overnight and it isn't uh, an easy journey, but we appreciate the, the uh, path uh, that they've laid out. And we look forward to working with both the Hawaii uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau as well as with the Council on Native Hawaiian Advancement, because both have incredible skill sets that we really, really need in this journey. Um, I think how we take care of the places that we travel to and that we live in is going to be an increasingly critical conversation. And so we just really appreciate the leadership and making sure that we are having those conversations and moving forward. You know, it's interesting because in your title, obviously sustainability is a huge part of what you do. Um, and I'm interested in sort of what 
what kind of benchmarks you're using when you're trying to figure out how you are caring for a destination, how you are being part of that conversation. We know that um, you do the annual care report for Alaska Airlines. It has a variety of benchmarks, um, environmental and otherwise. But if you could talk a little bit about how you figure that out and, and how you know that you're you know, on the right path. Yeah, it's a great question. And and Ryan, the question you asked me earlier about sort of, you know, how do we do, do we do these things everywhere is Hawaii special? You know, and I sort of said, we do these things everywhere and Hawaii is special. Um, one of the sort of core ethos in our business came from the fact that we were born in the state of Alaska serving very rural communities and very air service dependent communities. And we still do 20, we serve 20 communities in the state of Alaska, only three of which are accessible by road. And if you think about that, that's a lot of people that we take care of that um, are really dependent on, uh, on us and dependent on making it accessible. And increasingly there's been a conversation about how do we not just make air travel accessible, but how do we make sure that it is doing the right thing for communities, for people, both our guests and our employees, and for um, the climate uh, and the land and the ocean. And so the metrics that we hold ourselves by are sort of guided by those categories. We have metrics in terms of um, employment. We have metrics in terms of uh, the diversity of our leadership, reflecting um, the diversity of our frontline employees so that people can see themselves in leadership and uh, be willing to stay and continue to evolve our, their careers. We have metrics around safety. We have metrics around community giving, um, and one in particular, a goal around a certain level of employee volunteerism from within our employee base, sort of showing that willingness to give back. And then on the climate and environment side, we have goals around uh, carbon, our carbon emissions, which are our number one uh, environmental impact as an airline, our waste and water. Um, and restoring uh, clean and healthy water. So those three areas have some sub goals within them, one of which is actually a path to net zero carbon emissions that we've outlined with a goal of reaching net zero by 2040. And there's a lot of work behind that and we are um, taking it one step at a time, but uh, really committed to making progress toward that ultimate uh, destination. You know, I know earlier we talked about this uh, added destination coming out of Seattle and that direct coming to the islands. Uh, I'm wondering just when you look at the future of uh, the Hawaii market and just the potential that is there, do you foresee uh, any other routes or is there any strong demand for, say, a neighbor island or does Honolulu continue to be the number one destination? I mean, what are some of the things that you're looking at when trying to establish if a new route is necessary and if there's anything that you're already seeing right now? It's a great question. So one of the things that we have always been proud of in terms of how we serve Hawaii from the West Coast and Hawaii residents is having those direct flights from all um, four islands that we serve to destinations up and down the West Coast. And so there is a lot of demand for flights into Honolulu, but we will never move away from that um, direct service because we know it's really important. Um, I think as we go forward, part of it, the part of what we look like look at is um, where do people want to go, what times do they want to go, and then where might they be connecting from or to, and how do our flights work into the overall ecosystem? Um, one of the things that we did during the pandemic is we actually uh, joined the One World Alliance, so now we can connect more seamlessly and have loyalty, reciprocal loyalty benefits 
with the, the uh, airlines that are part of the One World Alliance. So American, JAL, Qantas in particular um, that serve Hawaii. And so one other thing that we look at now is how do our flights intersect with some of those other partners' flights? I'm interested in- That's uh, JAL is on, uh, a, a favorite among the One World. Well. I'm interested also in, um, you know, as we look at how work patterns have changed and how just how we live has changed. Do you see that the, there are these sort of banner seasons, you know, that summer is really busy, the holidays are really busy, but how we work has changed. Do, do, do you think that the travel seasons are now spread out a little bit longer or are we seeing these concentrations that are typical, you know, that we've expected for year in and year, year over year? That's such an excellent question. They are more spread out. Um, and yet one thing that is true is summer is busy. Um, seasonality, different people go different places sometimes in the summer than they may during the spring uh, or fall seasons. One thing that is consistent that we're really working on is the period right after the Christmas and New Year holiday is really tough. Um, many people have traveled they're not traveling yet for the new business cycle. They're not traveling yet again for leisure. And so what we've tried to focus on, where do we put our airplanes during that time that makes sense where people want to go? And so that's where we've really leaned into, we've called it sort of a sun and ski destination, but including these new destinations I mentioned um, and connection to the Bahamas and to Guatemala, um, where people may be going to visit friends and family or to take a vacation. Um, sort of off cycle, if, especially if you don't have kids in school or you're not bound by some of those schedule restrictions. So we're playing with a few things to make sure that we're using our airplanes in the right way. You know, this may be a pretty broad question, but I'm just wondering what you're seeing as a whole when it comes to just the aviation industry. You know, we're just seeing a, a lot more news reports about you know, some of the challenges that airlines are facing right now, just with customer demand, um, not again, having adequate staffing for some flights, uh, some delays that are happening. There's just a lot that seemingly happened in this industry. Um, what are some of the things that you folks are noticing, uh, not only with regards to Hawaii, but overall nationwide uh, and how Alaska has to navigate through uh, some of these changes and challenges of the aviation industry? It's a great question. So I feel like I should knock wood or something, but right now we feel really good about that staffing reliability. And I think one of the things that we learned from coming out of the pandemic is the need to be really proactive in ensuring the right levels of staffing, really proactive about our hiring and to be managing those numbers really, really carefully. Um, and that's something, I mean, it's in our ethos to be um, somewhat fiscally conservative, to think about durability for the long term, to manage numbers tightly. And so it's in our DNA. We just needed to put that muscle to work in some key areas that weren't as volatile before the pandemic. So we feel really good. And I think those operational stats that I shared are sort of demonstration that we're on a really good trajectory as it relates to the operation. A couple things that we're um, kind of excited about, though, certainly the the opportunity to get more pilots and more other people into the industry. But there's some really interesting things happening on the sustainability front. There's a lot of innovation on um, around electric and hybrid electric aircraft um, that might be smaller aircraft and do shorter hops, um, but where you can use non uh, sort of non-traditional combustion engines. Um, and actually one of our smaller aircraft, we donated to a uh, hydrogen electric powertrain manufacturer um, that actually works up at Payne Field, the airport that I noted north of Seattle, so that they can retrofit it with their hydrogen electric powertrain 
uh, system and can do zero emissions flights. Um, on another part of the sustainability sort of innovation um, area, working on sustainable aviation fuels and making cleaner energies for um, current infrastructure, current engines available. And they're, they exist, they're safe. Um, they're made sort of by recycling carbon materials like you might find in waste material or agricultural waste. Uh, and um, that's an area that we're putting a lot of energy because we think it's a market that not only will be essential for a more sustainable future, but that will continue to grow. I mean, that goal of 2040, I had not heard that before of being net zero. That seems incredibly ambitious for an airline, right? Because you just think about all the fuel that you have to use to power, uh, you know, your business. So how how do you get there? I mean, those innovations that you're talking about sound amazing. They also sound expensive and very niche, right? So how, how do you do that? And 2040 is not that far away. Yeah, you just characterized what keeps me up at night. But... Um, our board said, look, if we're going to do this, we have to be bold because we have to push ourselves to actually go fast and go far. We just know that we can't do it alone. So the five parts of our path um, are operational efficiency. How do we use what we have incredibly well and efficiently so that we save fuel where we can? Our new MAX aircraft are about um, uh, uh, almost 25% more fuel efficient than the airplanes that they're replacing. So right there, that's the foundation. Sustainable aviation fuel is um, very small supply right now, but it can't be niche in the future. And so that's where we need uh, collaborations, private investment, public investment, tax policy. And there's been an incredible acceleration in the last couple of years that gives us hope that that market will continue to take off. Uh, and then the electrified aircraft that we talked about. And then finally, we may need some level of um, reliable, durable carbon removal projects to close that gap. Um, but we're working on the foundational things to start. So uh, we're committed. We are. We know we have a lot of work to do, though, and it's going to take everybody working together. Well, we're almost out of time here, but I did want to just provide you one final thought uh, as we continue this conversation about what tourism in Hawaii looks like and as we talk about Alaska and the expansion that you say is happening with a new route uh, that's coming. Uh, your final thoughts about uh, Hawaii as a whole and the importance uh, that this destination plays into the overall um, scheme of Alaska Airlines and, and your growth as a company? Well, thanks for that. I, your questions have been phenomenal and I love uh, chatting with you all. But um, I would just say that, you know, a lot of what we were so honored to serve Hawaii and to be part of the community. And I think a lot of what is evoked in the spirit of Aloha is something that we um, and just the idea of care and of being welcoming and of curiosity and of responsibility and stewardship those are things that run deep in our culture. And so I hope that we can continue to be uh, mutually supportive and to do the right thing for Hawaii in the future. Well, Diana, it's always great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. And we hope to have you on again soon. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Thank Aloha. you. Thanks. Well, Ryan, so interesting to get that sort of outside and inside perspective, right? That an airline that has been committed to Hawaii for some time now, but has a global reach and really, a, you know, an interesting perspective. I love what she talked about at the top with the trends in leisure, she called it, blending business travel with leisure travel. That's a trend that they're seeing people wanting to do sort of the best of both and make sure that they're as efficient as possible with their hours in the air. Uh, there's still, what she said, a very strong appetite for travel to Hawaii. 
um, and some pretty impressive uh, flight times, you know, meeting destinations. I think she said, you know, A to B 99% of the time, I think, is, or maybe 100%. I can't remember, very close, one or the other. Uh, and then on time arrivals, 85%, which she said is, you know, top of the industry. Yeah, and also just interesting to see, to see how things have evolved uh, with the Hawaii market. You know, she talked about how they have accommodated some of the times and when their flights leave and return to Hawaii in order for Hawaii residents uh, who are looking to make those connecting flights to, say, the East Coast or having to make some of those changes. Uh, interesting to see how the airlines has tried to uh, find ways to accommodate the Hawaii travelers specifically, uh, noting the time it takes to get here and also the time difference that's involved and helping for those connecting flights. But also, uh, you know, she talked about the introduction of that new route uh, out of Seattle, another route coming from that Payne uh, air, uh, Airport uh, in northern Seattle that will add just a, another option for those who are trying to get to the islands uh, as Alaska, she says, continues to really look at destinations and what the demand is. She said there still obviously is a very strong demand for the island of Oahu and Honolulu, but they continue to look at other opportunities that may exist on some of the neighbor islands. Uh, of course, Alaska Airlines serving all four major islands within the state. And, and again, as you alluded to, uh, continuing to see much success with the amount of travelers that still have a demand for Hawaii. Yeah, and then of course in her title is the word sustainability. She's the vice president of uh, public affairs, but also sustainability. And you know, she did say what keeps her up at night is reaching that 2040s net zero goal. I mean, if you think about you know all the fuel that an airline needs to do their business, that is very very ambitious and really interesting to hear about some of the environmental innovations that they're looking at: electric aircraft uh, using sustainable fuel, and then some of the other areas she talked about. Um, 2040 is around the corner. Of course, that's the state's goal as well, right? To be net zero. So hopefully we re we both reach that uh, in that time frame. Yeah, and uh, just an interesting conversation. We thank uh, Diana for joining us this morning. Always great to get an outsider perspective of the tourism industry outside the islands, uh, but with a partner that obviously has strong roots uh, to Hawaii and this uh, uh, and Hawaii as a destination as a whole. We're going to continue on with this tourism theme on Monday. We're going to be talking to Rick Egged uh, of the Waikiki in Improvement, Improvement Association. Association. Uh, he's going to talk a little bit more about things that are happening in that area. That's right. You know, Waikiki has gotten a lot of attention. Of course, it is, uh, you know, the crown jewel when it comes to the tourism market. And it's such an important destination. It is a lot of people's first impression of Hawaii. And, uh, you know, in recent years and months, it, the impression hasn't always been good. We've seen a lot of uh, petty crime there. We've seen some actual high profile incidents of crime involving visitors as well. And so the, you know, HPD, the mayor, the Honolulu prosecutor's office has really made that a focus. They've done a lot of work with Safe and Sound and and those geographical restrictions on repeat offenders uh, that seems to be making progress. Also, there's some new restrictions when it comes to how late you can stay out on the beach there. Uh, that met with some controversy because people want to be able to take a walk along the beach, but also trying to balance keeping people from actually camping out on the beach at night and all that that brings. So we'll be talking to Rick about what he thinks is going right in Waikiki, what still needs to be done. We hope to see you right back here 1030 on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. We'll see you then. Aloha.